All right. What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea for part two of our Q&A. Um, with us kind of chatting about our weeks last time, Andrea, let's go ahead and just kind of get into the questions once again. So first one I have for you is zone two versus list for recovery slash cardio days. Any takes on that? So zone two is considered lists as far as I understand. Uh, I know that there's like, so if you're looking at zone one versus zone two, which I would consider both of those low intensity steady state cardio, um, lists or, um, sorry, zone one, you could think of as like a stroll outside, just like a, a slow walk. Um, and then depending on how fit you are, zone two would be like a very slow jog or a very quick walk or maybe a walk with some hills. So basically uh, you just would want to keep your um, breathing at a, at a place where you can still hold a conversation. So they're going to be essentially the same. Um, Zone two is often recommended because it doesn't really eat into recovery like a more aggressive uh, cardio would be. Um, So really either one is going to be just fine. They're both going to be great for heart health. They're both going to be fine on a recovery day. Um, and just to get in like your, your steps or, um, you know, burn the calories that you're looking to burn. So to me, there's not really a huge difference there. What do you think? Yeah. I think if you, I think the formula for figuring out zone two, we're looking at heart rates and I think it's 220 minus your age. And then we're taking 70 to 80% of that. So like I'm almost 30. So let's say 220 minus 30 is 90 or 190. And then 70% of that is um, 133 to 152. So, I mean, like there, my heart rate would be 133 to 152. So yeah, like that's pretty I don't think like, I, I really, it's very, very similar to zone one. I don't think that it's going to be more or less detriment. I think like with zone two, if we're pushing the upper limit of that. So for example, for me, if I'm at like 130 to hundred, I think like the zone one in the lower end of zone two. So if I'm close to that, like 130 beats per minute mark, I'm not going to see very many actual adaptations to that as far as improving my cardiovascular fitness for me, like saying right now, like my resting heart rate is very low. So even getting it up to like 130, um, right now it's like a 120 to 130 is where we're supposed to be at for all of my cardio. So getting it into like the 120s, I still have to like walk at a pretty good clip, but I think that we will see like in zone two, I think we will see slightly more actual improvements in like your aerobic fitness than we would if we're just rocking with zone one. But very similar to what you said, um, I don't think either are going to eat into recovery resources. I think still like with zone one in the moment, it might feel a little bit more restorative. It might feel a little bit more relaxing. Whereas with zone two, like to get to 130 to, 130 to 150 beats per minute, like I still have to be going at a producing clip. But even then, we do know that um, the aerobic system drives recovery from anaerobic bouts. So basically like if my aerobic system, so basically that'll drive further adaptations in my aerobic system and they won't be like crazy leaps forward, but it probably will help my overall conditioning. Basically what that means is if my aerobic system is in a better place, my body can get back can like shift out of a, 
um, essentially your body can recover quicker, right? So like when we're talking again about like the aerobic system driving recovery from anaerobic bouts, anaerobic activity is going to be things like explosive bouts of short intensity exercise, typically 40 to 60 seconds, right? But you're, so think like a set of hack squats, but your aerobic system is what drives recovery from those. So if I'm in better aerobic condition, I can recover things from those things quicker. And as a whole, again, you can get back into a parasympathetic or rest and digest state out of like a fight or flight state, which we would be like within our training, we can get out of that state quicker and recover quicker. So like both have benefits for recovery. I wouldn't say one is necessarily better than the other. I'm typically like when I'm programming for clients is typically like programming cardio for clients is typically going to be like right on the upper end of zone one, right on the lower end of zone two. Um, do you have any other, other thoughts or questions on that? Uh, no, I think the the important thing is that if you're focused on um, just getting in a little bit of activity, but you don't want it to, you want it to enhance recovery versus add to what you need to recover from, just don't go to like a spin class or um, something really intense like that, that you have to also recover from, keep it a little bit slower in that zone one or two um, place and you're, you're just fine. Yeah. I think more than anything, it like comes down to adherence here where if it's like, Hey, I just want to burn some calories. Um, let's say we're deep in a fat loss phase. I don't necessarily want it to feel hard. Everything else already feels hard right now. Probably just roll with zone one. But if it's like, I want to improve my aerobic system and my conditioning, we probably are aiming for that zone two, and it won't necessarily be detrimental to recovery either. Um, okay. Next up we have, would you rather eat mustard and Splenda or never have cinnamon toast crunch again? Um, this is one of the questions that Natalie got shout out to Ashley. Great question. Um, I would definitely rather eat mustard and Splenda than never have cinnamon toast crunch again, because cinnamon toast crunch is delicious. Um, Brandon and I were just talking about the cinnamon toast crunch salad or not the cinnamon toast crunch, the mustard and Splenda salad dressing. I don't think that Natalie has actually even tried it. So what I'll say is before you knock it, just give it a try. Um, man, through this fat loss phase, honestly, I have, cause we're, we've never had more company than we have for like the last month. I'm very much like Katie and I will go out to one of the things that makes her happiest is going to like different bars and restaurants and things of that nature and just like exploring Phoenix. So but then that we are at a lot of different places and I have had a lot of, I've had every time the waiter looks at me super weird, but it's always available <laughs> where it's like, Hey, I just want a bed of salad greens. I want chicken, not so just grilled chicken, not cooked in any oil or any butter. And then some mustard on the side and throw some red onions on there. I've done that so many times and it's, it's not great, but with where we're at in the fat loss phase, again, not a ton of room for error it gets the job done. Um, but I would definitely rather eat mustard and splenda occasionally than never have cinnamon toast crunch again. Do you have anything to add to that? I have never tried honey mustard, so I don't even know if I like honey mustard. So I, I know I like regular mustard. So just having that on a salad sounds gross, but I might need to try honey mustard and then I would know <laughs> if it's something I would give a shot. I'm a big honey mustard fan with giving up the mustard and also never having cinnamon toast crunch. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on from that one. Thank <laughs> you for the great question, Ashley. Um, is it true that the higher intake of 
your intake of protein, the better your hunger and cravings are controlled. You want me to take that one? Yeah, take it away. Protein, if we're looking at the three macronutrients, protein is going to be the most satiating. So um, if you're looking at, let's say, 100 calories of chicken versus 100 calories of sweet potato versus 100 calories of olive oil, that 100 calories of chicken is going to fill you up the best versus the the other two. Um, So if you have a high protein diet, um, especially as calories get low, that's going to help keep you a little bit more full versus, um, a lower protein diet. So I, I was there more to that question? No, that, that was okay. all. And I mean, I think there's going to be a point of diminishing returns, right? I wouldn't say yeah. just like keep ramping your protein intake up indefinitely, but, um, yeah, to an extent we will get more satiation. Um, I think in, in Mac nutrition, they talked about the idea that the satiation, satiating dose of protein is only about 20 grams per meal. Now I, I thought that was interesting and I, it's hard for me to know, like, I would say an anecdote, I've seen a lot of examples where I think like you can definitely take it quite, quite a bit higher than that. But I do think like just us looking at like to an extent, if our calories are low enough, if our body fat is low enough, even if we're eating a tremendous amount of protein and we're still going to be hungry, we're probably still going to have some cravings. So that's largely also going to depend on like the depth of your diet relative to, again, like how deep into a deficit are you and also how lean you are. But protein is definitely like one of the most helpful. Like if we look at the satiety index of foods, we have like the most filling foods. We have basically like a plain baked potato. And then we have a bunch of protein sources when we're looking at like the foods that are going to be the most satiating. So it's definitely a good idea to make a large emphasis in your diet from when we talked a ton about the benefits of protein outside of just like a fat loss perspective or a satiety perspective. But yeah, it'll definitely help quite a bit in that regard. Um, anything else out there? No, I think that's it. Okay. Can you further elaborate the difference from creating HCL and creatine monohydrate. Um, I actually don't know the difference between monohydrate and HCL. I do know, um, it's kind of been like all the designer creatines have somewhat been debunked as far as they're not actually any more beneficial than just creatine monohydrate. So that's, I never like, I think create now the price of creatine with COVID has gone up a lot, actually. Creatine is a lot more expensive than monohydrate is a lot more expensive than it used to be. But I mean, there's a ton of different like designer creatines. And the reality is from like all the research we have, they never end up, I haven't dug too deep into HCL versus monohydrate. I know I've like dug into a comparison of the two and really we're not going to get any additional benefits out of like HCL versus, but all the other variations outside of monohydrate are going to be more expensive. Um, so I would say just roll with monohydrate. Do you have any additional insight into that? Not really. I was trying to remember what, like how long ago it was that I worked at GNC. That seemed to be like when all of those were popping up, like creatine, creacolin and stuff like that, where it's, yeah. they said that it would like not make you hold water weight and things like that, but it's like, okay, (laughs) creatine, that's part of its benefit. It holds water weight inside the muscle cell. Um, so that's, that's actually a good thing, but yeah, all of this, I haven't really dug into it because all of the studies 
are done on monohydrate or a huge majority of the studies are done on monohydrate. That's shown to be effective. It's the cheapest variation. So there's not really any reason to use a different one. Yeah. Okay. So looking into this now, it looks like um, HCL is supposedly supposed to absorb a little bit faster. That said again, like it really doesn't take that long to, um, if that is indeed accurate, which again, I believe the uh, kind of breakdown that I saw actually had kind of debunked that. I don't want to say that for certain, but within that um, still, like it just doesn't take that much longer for us to reach the point of saturation from creatine monohydrate. And then within that, like, again, I don't think it's worth the additional, like we're, we're talking about, like, if we're going from like HCL to monohydrate, at least if I remember correctly, we're probably talking about like an extra 25 bucks that you're spending. And here, basically like the only benefits there are going to be like if HCL saturated quicker, yes, we would have like an additional five to seven days where we were at the saturation point with creatine, but past that, like going forward, we're not going to get any additional benefits. So I would, again, just roll with monohydrate. Yeah. Um, okay. Final question we have, which free app do you recommend for tracking your lifts? What do you got? If any, mm. I love a good pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. This way. Um, so uh, there's one that Mike Matthews from Legion um, put out and I'm forgetting the it's name strong. of it. Strong. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is there one called stacked? I've heard of something. Uh, else. There might well, be actually, so, honestly, I don't have a great insight into this. I used his for a short time whenever it very first came out. I'm sure it's evolved since then, but for me, it is so much easier to just write it down on a piece of paper. So I get a notebook each page has one day of training on it. I write out my, um, exercise and then underneath that sets and reps. And then aside from that, I write what I actually was able to achieve. Um, so if it's like eight to 12 and I got 12, then I'll make a little note of like the weight that I use and go up next time. Cause I'm at the top end of the rep range and I can make notes on how it felt and all of that. And so that is what I've always done. Um, True coach is what we use for our clients. And I think that that's great because it will pop up what you used last week for the same exercise. So you can see that and compare essentially just like what I'm doing with my notebook and make notes in there that way. But um, I, I've only used that one and I just didn't find that it was better to me than using paper. Have you used any? Um. Yeah. I mean, of course, through coach is my favorite as well. I was going to say the same thing. I love how easy it is to just click the exercise history button. And you can't, you can see not just last week, but like your entire history with the movement. Yeah. I think that's something that's very valuable to be able to look at to really dictate like, are we, or are we making progress outside of that? I do like just a pen and paper um, or else Google sheets is something that I've used very consistently as well. It's like basically doing the exact same thing that you did with pen and paper. Um, but I'll say like outside of those two, I haven't used any other apps. True coach, unfortunately, as you said, isn't a free app. Um, but I would honestly just go with like, I would build your program in Google sheets if you want to like have it on your phone. And I do think there, even then like senior exercise history week to week, like the waist lifted is a little bit easier when you're like referring back two weeks, three weeks, four weeks than it is with pen and paper. But yeah, I would probably just rock with one of those two options. 
So whenever I do it, I write down my sets and reps and weight and everything. And then just to the side of that, do write it again. And so then I'm just expanding mm. it out to the side. So I can do like eight weeks that way. So it's easy to refer back instead of having to flip pages back. Okay. Yeah. I always just did. That makes way more sense actually now to think about it. That's a much better approach to how I go about it. So I learned something today as well. But um, anything else to add to that? No. Okay, cool. Well, that is all the questions we have for this time, team. As always, we appreciate all the good questions and we will catch you guys next week.